Hello and welcome to episode 217 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Manchester, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stanislav, we're really going to have to change our notes template because it's going gonna, it's gonna to trip you up once where you're going to be like here in Chicago because you're not in Chicago any longer. I am not in Chicago any longer. And you know how I can tell this? Is because I I hear the the raucous cries of the the football match through your skylight. Yes, of your of, from in your flat. It's not a flat; it's a loft. I I, I live in a terrace house. You know Hold this. On, what? Yeah. So so I live in a terrace house, which is what they call a townhouse. Yeah. And my office is in the loft, which is what they call the attic. Okay. Hold on. I thought a flat was just like shorthand for apartment. Is that not the case? Is flat like literally like a one floor apartment? No, flat is shorthand for an apartment, but I don't have okay. an apartment. Oh, yes, you have the terrace house. I'm in a terrace house. Okay, that sounds this sounds like a lovely animated movie set in Manchester. The terrace house. I, I would love to cast one of the famous Chris's to do the voice. Of, of yeah, who, who would voice you? You know what? I just saw the Dungeons and Dragons movie. and I, Yeah, Chris Pine? I think it's Chris Pine, yeah. <laughs> <That would, laughs> I like that we're... we're like who would who would play us in our animated movie? Wouldn't it be us. No, we have terrible terrible voices for animation. No, who would who would voice you? Because you would be my wacky neighbor in this. Oh, case. Shatner. If you I mean if you could pine, I get Shatner. I actually have a, a kind of a wacky neighbor. She's she's a sweet old British lady named Charlotte, and she has a funny little dog named Agnes. Oh, perfect. That's definitely perfect. Man, you're living the dream. Seriously. So, uh, Stanislav, chain. We, we don't have Dave. It's just us. Just the two of us. I'm contractually obligated to sing this song. God, that voice. <laughs> How I miss that voice. <laughs> you know, it's my range is really what got me the contract. Yeah. With yeah. Geffen. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good cut. <laughs> is Geffen is it, still making records? I don't know. Is I, David G himself? Who would produce your records, Stanislav? I was listening. To, <laughs> let's pop. just talk oh, about... No. No, it's Sub Pop for sure. Okay, you want to be on Sub Pop? Well, who would be your producer? Because I was listening to some shellac, so, you know, and speaking of another deep cut, some uh, 1000 Hertz. Uh, mm-hmm. And man, I forgot how good Albini is. It's ho- holy crap, those drums. They sound good. I, I think we've had this conversation, but I'm going to repeat it just in case. Have I ever told you the story about how I was in college and I was going to Pitchfork Music Festival? And it was to see the National and Modest Mouse headline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This, this, I know those this, bands. Is, this was an era when I knew the lineup of Pitchfork. I don't anymore. Yes, yes exactly. I'm old now. But I went to the Festi, and there was a dude standing outside the Fest hawking compact discs. And he's like, yo, Steve Albini produced this record for me. I'm just trying to get the word Whoa. out. I'll sell you the CD for five bucks. It's my original music he kept he kept pushing the name steve albini he's like steve albini produced this <laughs> and i'm like uh, yeah sure I'll, I'll check it out and i was it diablo I, it was a blank cd that's just, just rude i mean <laughs> at least give you like at least you give you some shareware like make it like duke nukem yeah at least well stanislav what are we doing today we have one of my favorite episodes which is you and me arguing about the viability of cards yeah but this time i'm really not i'm just not going to commit to anything yeah, just we'll just hedge the entire time. Just be like, yeah, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> we'll we'll do our favorite thing where it's like, uh, maybe you'll see Plant Biner. Uh, yeah, I I love hedging, and that's what this week's show is about. We're going to begin admiring the first rounds of spoilers from March of the Machine, which, if I may say, very poorly named set for an April release. <laughs> 
it's actually <laughs> it's actually a tough it's a tough name just to remember in general because you want to say March of the Machines, but they're sort of using like the the singular plural where it's like the machine is I guess the Phyrexians. Yeah, is, they're the they're like they're like the Borg. I'm guessing the Borg. That's Star Trek. Uh, yeah, that's Trek. That's yeah, that's, yeah. That's they're like Trek. they're like the big bad. I don't. Yeah. They yeah, and you know they got Picard. You know I'm not no no spoilers if you haven't seen, if you haven't seen TNG. It's a, it's the good one. Or so they claim. Yeah, Dave's out. We don't need him. We're just going to talk about some of the cars we we like or are Have we ever needed compelled Dave? by. You know, he's useful for some things. Yeah, he keeps us on the straight and narrow. Like, like we're already six minutes in, and we haven't even got to housekeeping. Let's do that, shall we? New patrons to join the Dive Down Nation. We got Taylor M. and Jonky Bong. Mm, Jonky given Bong. Given name. Speaking my language. <laughs> If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash thedivedown. Also, we have a store at thedivedown.com slash store. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we do. We recently sold a fanny pack. I need to. I'm going on a trip in May, so I will be out, uh, dear listeners. I will be out, at, I think, one just one week, probably. Hmm. And I think I need to get, I mean, you and Dave actually got me. A pretty hype fanny pack a few years ago. Yeah. And I do have that, but I feel like I need to rep the dive down with a new fanny pack for my trip. Because if there's one thing that's really handy when you're on the go for like eight, nine, ten hours is extra pockets. Well, my question to you, why just wear one when you can have a t- you can oh, wear two you can have the front fanny and the back fanny. Well I could really it could would really be the bum bag, which is yeah. what I hear they call it in the UK. So yeah. I could have I could have the the gut pack and the fanny pack. Mm-hmm. 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 And you can also have one strapped around your chest. Like I don't love that look. I understand the look, but it's not for me. I don't. I don't need like a bandolier. Like I don't need to look yeah. like Han Solo. A lot of a lot of young men in in England wear that look. Really? I'm out. I'm, you know, I'm out in town, the city center, waiting for the tram, and these boys with bandoliers. These young lads. <laughs> Is it on the front or the back? Is it like a very tiny messenger bag or is it yeah. like a... No, it's on the front. Okay. Yeah. It's like a Joey pouch. I don't know. That that So that's Australia. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Get yourself a Joey pouch over at our store, the divedown.com slash store. Uh, if you are interested in playing Magic Online and you're tired of buying and selling cards with bots... I remember when I actually had to do that and life was terrible, uh, mm-hmm. but Mana Traders is a great way to rent Magic Online cards. Then you can play whatever you want and you can use code THEDIVEDOWN10 for 10% off your first two months of Mana Traders. We also, of course, have an ongoing relationship with Nerd Rage Gaming. We are the official podcast of the Nerd Rage series. And you know, we talked about them last week. They have their series just starting up for 2023. If you need to get some paper cards for any kind of event you're attending, you just get 8% off for being a Dive Down listener using code DIVE8. So yeah, some pretty efficient housekeeping. Can I just say one more thing about Mana Traders? One more Mana Traders plug? I mean, you can say anything you want about Mana Traders because it's great. If you think you're good at magic and you're not playing magic online, I don't think you can claim <laughs> to be good at magic. <laughs> it's, and, it's so much harder. Yeah, yeah, that. And also, I think if you are truly good at magic and can do well in on magic online... Mana Traders is just the best investment for testing your skill and ultimately just 
getting to this point where you are playing competitive magic for free. That's the thing that people don't talk enough about, I think, with Moto versus Arena. People don't really litigate that anymore, and I want to relitigate Moto versus Arena. Let's do it right now for an hour and a half. On Magic Online, you can just play competitive magic for free when you are good and just keep riding that train, that gravy train, the curry gravy train. Yeah. Whether you want to just spend your tickets on entries, whether you want to eventually liquidate your tickets and make some literal cash. Yeah. I, I think the best Magic players are often jumping between decks based on what's happening in the meta of different formats that they play. And Magic Traders just makes that so easy. So if you want to be good at Magic, if you want to win your RCQ and you want to make a run at the Pro Tour, you have to be doing it on Moto and not in the tournament practice room. You have to be going through leagues every once in a while. Maybe you can do like a premiere or uh, is that what they're called? The premiere events? I already forgot. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, it's just... I, I can't speak highly enough. And I've been playing Arena lately, and it's fine and fun and cool. But whenever yeah. I go back to Moto, which I try to do a league every week or two, like I just feel like, oh, yeah, I, this is the big leagues. Yeah. Uh, so Daybreak Games, get at us for all this free advertising we're doing for your, your relatively new up-and-coming platform, Magic Online. We'll, we'll, we'll help you really get the word out about it. Darn tootin'. All right, with all that out of the way, March yeah. of the Machine comes yeah. out in a couple weeks. Yeah. New new standard set. Stan, have you ever heard of an event set? Uh, no. <laughs> have you heard this term used? Apparently, it's a term I didn't know existed. Tell me uh, more. But that, that's what March of the Machine is. It's an event set because it's like capturing an event in the storyline. I thought they all were part of the magic storyline. But like, mm. you know, War of the Spark, mm -hmm. The Brothers' War, mm -hmm. War of the Wars, mm, March yeah. of the Machine. You know, these are all these event sets. And so this of course has like a lot of stories that people were talking about in the, in the spoiler channel. Uh, they were talking about the storyline. I was like, I'm not reading all that, but you know, good for you. <laughs> or sorry that happened. <laughs> yeah. Sorry that happened. Uh, but this is a conclusion of like the four part Phyrexian story arc. I'll name all four parts now and summarize their story. It began with Dominaria United. Uh, the entire multiverse is rallying together for some climactic battle. Stuff on planes is getting completed, you know, all the usual stuff. More importantly for us, this means more cards to talk about and potentially see play and modern and pioneer and such. And my words, Dan. I just got to say there's a lot of words on these cards. This has to be the most words in a set ever. Like it, every card is front, back, side, literal sideways uh, text. Yeah, it almost seems like every year that record is broken of the wordiest yeah. set. This has to be it. But I guess a quick side question because we, you know, we've, we're 13 minutes in and we've, we've talked so much about this. Nothing matters. What uh, is time? How engaged are you with like storyline stuff like this? Like, are you, do you get into it? So not enough to read the actual text, but, yeah. but I am. Why engaged. read the story? <laughs> Tell me about it. But I am engaged enough to want to follow along with the plot points. So I, I am that person in the discord who's like, can someone please just give me the cliff notes? Cause <laughs> yeah. I, there's something about it that, compels me i guess not enough to read it but just enough to like be curious what happens to these yeah. characters and you know what i think part of it is these characters are beloved like we play with them in the game pieces we yeah. see these worlds in the game pieces and maybe part of that is also just like wanting to know what the future of the game pieces might look like based on what's happening to these characters and worlds and and this is a set like if you like characters then there's a lot of them 
from all over the plains here. The tagline for Marshall the Machine should really be characters welcome. <laughs> Monk shows up. The guys from uh, Scrubs. I don't know. Was that on? Psych. Yeah, psych. That, thank you. That, that's, that's what I was looking one. for. Yeah. Yes. There's the Psych guys. Oh, they're so so clever. Can I can I also throw in another pedantic? Maybe it's probably a pedantic correction. Please. But didn't the story start with Kaldheim? Because that's when Vornclex reemerged. I mean, I was just taking notes from from other trusted sources. Yeah. Uh, they say it began with Dominator United, but what do I know? Yeah, I feel like that's when the war began, but we started to, to see the inclinations of machinations because of uh, on Kaldheim. Because there was Vornclex, and then Tybalt was doing something with like a portal. This is me shrugging. That's when we met Tyvar, and he was ended up being like I think a pretty notable character in the in the climax of the story. Sure, Pun- punching his way to freedom. Just got just got to keep punching. I know that's how I win. So Stanislav, I think the biggest thing we can talk about, and then we can get into kind of our our potential picks to click. I think we we have to talk. I don't. We're not going to get into all the mechanics here because I don't think a lot of them are that. I mean, I think they're somewhat interesting, but we'll talk about them if a card comes up that has that mechanic. But we got to talk about battles. Yeah, let's talk about battles. The band. Yes, but I. You know what's weird? I was just listening to battles like on Friday for the first time in forever. They're fun. They're really fun. They have a very novel. I, I mean. It's, I don't know how novel it is any longer, but like, man, back when, what, mid-2000s? That, that was a novel sound. Um, so we have a new card type, everyone. And, and it's a fairly, it's a different one. It's, it's actually, it's not just, it's not like a dungeon. It's an actual card type. It, uh, and it is a, this is a transforming double-faced card. Weird. Um, but the front faces are the first cards also to have landscape art, which mm-hmm. I guess is kind of cool. Like if you mm-hmm. want to turn your cards sideways uh, and have them on the battlefield, go for it. So what battle, let's just get into the nuts and bolts. Battles are cast like a like a non-instant spell. So, you know, main phase, if the stack is empty, they ETB with a number of defense counters equal to the number in the lower right corner, which is called their defense. And this is basically like a loyalty counter, some kind of like health counter, how much damage has to be done to it in order to defeat the battle. And right now, all battles in this set have the subtype of, I mean, maybe is that the type? I don't know. Siege. And other battles might exist in the future. Apparently, they've already gone on record saying they're deciduous, which means like they can appear in sets as the designers consider it to be needed without having like some kind of set flavor or you know what I mean like it's kind of like uh, what kicker is or something like that. I don't know if kicker is deciduous. But. I, I see. I see. It can just exist on a plane. It doesn't necessarily have to be the a theme of the plane. Yeah, they can just sort of they can sprinkle it in where needed. It's not like evergreen where it's always going to be there, but it's kind of sure. like use as needed. Use like you know like uh like salt and pepper. Yeah. So be prepared for some more battles in the future. Sieges have particular rules on how they work. Uh, When they enter, you choose an opponent to protect it. So if you're in a multiplayer game, you choose a single opponent to protect it. If it's a one-on-one, it's just your opponent. Uh, You and others can attack that siege. When the siege is defeated, it is exiled and then cast transformed. And so you want to be doing damage to to the siege, uh, on the other side of the battlefield. They're susceptible to more than just combat damage, like some spells and abilities can say that they can cause damage to be dealt to battles. If a spell or ability says any target, it currently targets a battle. And so when you remove the last defense counter from the siege, it's defeated. The triggered ability then triggers. As it resolves, 
The battles controller exiles it and then casts the back face from exile without paying its mana cost, so it has no mana cost. And the back faces are a variety of things. Things Most of them are permanents, like Marchesa, Resolute Monarch, which we'll talk about just as an example in a second. There's some sorceries in the mix, apparently. A Planeswalker? Yeah. And yes, this does mean that Teferi 3 stops the flip side from resolving. So let's get into a quick, quick example. Evasion um, of Fiora is a four, it's a rare four black black battle siege. When it ETBs, you choose one or both. You destroy all legendary creatures, you destroy all non legendary creatures. So it's a six mana wrath. And then the back, uh, and that has, oh, I, I didn't even write how much, what the, what the damage was, excuse me, the dif- defense was on this. So let's just say arbitrarily it's four or five. Uh, and then the backside is Marchesa, Resolute Monarch. She's a three six. Legendary Human Noble with Menace and Death Touch. And whenever Marchesa attacks, remove all counters from up to one target permanent. And at the beginning of your upkeep, if you have not been dealt combat damage since your last turn, you draw a card and lose one life. So, pretty cool creature there. Uh, of course, you do have to finish off the front side of the battle here. But I think rather than getting into the weeds on this one, which I think is fairly mid there's some implications of this kind of card type existing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, so something you mentioned that I hadn't heard was that this is how sieges work and not necessarily all battles. I yeah, this is a siege. Yeah. So I, I'm curious what the design space for battles is then if it's not a permanent that you have to attack to get the other side. But I guess time will tell. I mean, I can imagine it could be like when this battle leaves the battlefield, something happens. I mean, it's effectively what's happening here, though. But right. they don't have to have like a backside. Like it could just be like a leaves the battlefield trigger. Maybe they could have like statics, like where it's yeah. like a static enchantment. I mean, yeah, maybe I think some of these might have that. I don't maybe. know. I think you, I think all of these sort of have ETBs and then flips. Yes. But like I imagine you could have it be like uh, an enchantment battle that you want to destroy with damage rather than like enchantment removal spell or something like that. You know. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Could be an interesting thing. So, like, it's kind of like reverse planeswalkers, right? Like, you're not playing something you want to protect. You're playing something you want to attack, which, like, kind of shifts the the paradigm of what I think you want in your deck, right? Like, you want to probably play creatures mm-hmm. or spells that damage the battle because you want to flip them. And, like, creatures are also good to protect your opponent's battles. Like, if you're in a format where people are playing a lot of battles, you're going to want ways to protect them to keep your opponent from getting those benefits. So, like, I think... I think battles push people into aggressive decks typically if they're trying to include these things, like because you know you want to bolt the battle, as they always say. <laughs> yeah, that, that I think that's really the open question: whether or not the aggressive decks actually want to attack these. Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, because why? Yeah, it, the, so I think the design space is cool and interesting. Like, I'm I love the idea of a new card type, and I want to see this explored, and I, I want them to be good, right? I'm. I'm not nervous about them being like too good at this point, but no. perhaps perhaps one of them will be. Right now, though, just conceptually, it's a little hard for me to imagine a scenario where attacking the battle is more important than actually just being proactive against your opponent. Exactly. Since the backside like has to be game ending. Ultimately, yeah, it has to be for, for it to be worth the you the time you're spending like flipping it. Unless unless you can flip it in one go. You know what I mean? Like, if you're not chipping away over several turns, but maybe just, like, doing it one shot, and then you have, like, a powerful new permanent that, that accelerates your end game, maybe doesn't facilitate it immediately. 
Yeah, it sort of has to be it has to be worth it. Because ultimately, these games are all about math, right? It's just about combat damage, like how much damage you're doing in one turn versus over potential many turns. Like if you're swinging four damage into your battle or five or six for some of them, right? Like that's costing you, like to, to play the front half is costing you mana. It's costing you time to attack it. And we know that it's precious. Those are precious resources in our formats. But like like you said, if the flip side somehow is worth more damage over the same number of turns, or the you know the, the way you construct your deck is like allowing you to buy those turns, then yeah, that makes sense. But there's a lot of ifs there, right? Like because you know, even flipping it is not always guaranteed based on the board state or what your opponent is doing or you know, all that kind of stuff, right? So yeah, I think it's it's. But I think the front side, the ETB, has to be good enough for these to even sniff play, right? Because like you, because you can't guarantee the flip that the ETB has to be worth what you're paying for it. And I think there's a few of those we have picked out in today's episode to talk about. And and then sometimes the back, maybe the backside is like gravy, or it's going to be so easy to flip. If your deck's doing it all when it wants to, then then you'll want to consider including it. But yeah, we'll see. Yeah, Stanislav, hit me. We we picked some cards independently of one another. We had a little yeah. bit of overlap. Thankfully, not too much. Uh, I'm, this does not surprise me. Sure. Based on the way we typically sort of evaluate cards or think about cards, I think. So why don't we just kind of you know just go back and forth between some of our picks? I don't think we have anything in any particular order. I just went Wooberg and picked out stuff that I thought was interesting. I went in reverse order of reveal. So the newer the card, the higher it is on my list. Oh, cool. So we're just going I mean, <laughs> you know, higher meaning lower. Right. I, I went in a default scryfall spoiler <laughs> screen mode. Perfect. Love it. Hit me with hit me with one of the cards you want to talk about first. What are you what are you most interested in? And what are you looking for in this set? I guess first, before we kind of oh, get into okay, the individual sure. cards. Thank like you. what Thank like you. when you're when you're looking at this spoiler set, like yeah. it, took, it was like one I'm thinking this is a lot of stuff to read. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, so, two, I'm just kind of like, what, you know, the usual stuff, like, what's the efficient removal? What are the efficient creatures that have good abilities? Like, what is synergistic with decks I already know about? Like, the hardest thing for me is thinking about, does this open up new decks? Because I'm not that creative a person. But what's what's your what's your mindset when you're looking at this stuff? So, for this set specifically, my mindset is actually, I have a feeling this will probably be a set that Maybe it's not even a feeling, but I, I had the assumption that this is the the set that they're going to try to push power level on. I've got be- a feeling that even this though, is going to be a push set. Th- that that's actually that's my producer. That's going to produce whoever that is. The oh, black IPs. The oh, black yeah. IPs are going to produce my sub pop record. <laughs> but peas get at us. Even though I didn't know what event sets were, I, I was feeling the similarities to War of the Spark conceptually. And that being such a powerful set, I sort of assumed this would have inklings of that, especially because they're introducing a new card type that was really hyped up. Like they were talking about this set being one that will change the future of magic. And I believe in hindsight, they were specifically referring to battles cards. So if these cards... What is that sound? That's battles. The like band. I wish, yeah, battles a band. Like I wish that, like band. I could hit. I, I mean, I'm just gonna have like a little little Bluetooth speaker playing battles the entire time. The big so opponent will appreciate that. The actual music by the band Battles sounds better than that sound you just made with your mouth. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm not the guy from uh, Police Academy. Michael Winslow, that's his name. 
<sighs> Good cut. I think that's Michael Winslow. So yeah, to to kind of get back to your question, what I'm looking for is like, I'm just trying to pick up on what's going to be the actual real powerful stuff. If I can figure it out b- before other people, that would be nice for strategic reasons. But if, if not, just at least recognize like what may be so par- obviously powerful that could start to impact like week one play Yeah, um, in any format. So, so, so 25, 26 minutes. Let's start talking about cards. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not going to try to pick and choose from my list. I'll just go with the first one I put down, okay. which was more or less arbitrary. It was just the first one that looked good in Scryfall. And that was Ayara, Widow of the Realm. One BB for a legendary elf noble. It's a 4-4. Four, four. It has two sides. The front side is actually a 3-3. Three, three, I'm sorry. Yes. And it has an ability that's tap, sack another creature or artifact. Ayara, Widow of the Realm, deals X damage to target opponent or battle. You gain X life, where X is the sacrificed permanence mana value. Uh, you can do this at instant speed. And then it has a another Five ability. Red Phyrexian. Yeah. So that's six to seven no that's six yeah, yeah six. Five, five to, it's five to six right you can either pay red mana or you can pay two life yeah um to transform activate only as a sorcery and it transforms into ayara furnace queen oh my God, so many words and she's a legendary phyrexian elf noble at the beginning of combat on your turn return up to one target artifact or creature from your graveyard to the battlefield it gains haste exile it at the beginning of your next end step and that side is the four four yeah i just think this is probably a good card for sack decks i would think it's an expensive uh oven but it's an oven that also brings back cats if you don't have food out and i like that it's maybe just giving you like some rule of eight abilities in the gain and drain while also providing you with a sack outlet an instant speed sack outlet that's that's why this stood out to me it just seemed like a potentially useful tool for sack decks because it, it just like has so much text and it does both sides of the sack thing yeah i thought about it in you know, I've been playing a little bit of Golgari Sack recently in Pioneer, and it's a it's a little expensive, and it doesn't have haste. So, like with with Tyvar, it's potentially cool. Like like some there's some interesting play patterns, but they're even slower than the play patterns that already exist. And I'd really just want to be able to flip it because once if you flip this, but that won't happen till mid to late game. But when it's flipped, then you know you're pretty good because then you are getting stuff back that's like your Lazatep Reavers and stuff like that, where you're making two more pieces of cardboard just for free out of the graveyard uh, and, and or getting back like your uh, any kind of, you're just getting back sacrifice fodder or you're like, you know, two creature makers or something like that. So that's cool, but that's kind of like potentially win more. Like if you're at that state. Well, I think when she's flipped, you have to have another sack outlet out. Otherwise you'll get got by the exile clause. So if, yeah. she, if she's out with a priest of forgotten gods or a, a witch's cauldron, I think that maybe can put you into a position where you, I mean, you say win more, but like, I think you're just winning sooner. Right, and it makes like a grindy deck maybe close out that much faster because yeah. you're churning through your engine like that much more frequently. And, and one more, one more thing you said that this is flipping mid to late game. I think, and you can build this deck in a way that it flips maybe sooner 
because of treasure tokens, right? With that zombie from Adventures of the Forgotten Realms, when it dies, it either gives something a one, one, negative one, negative one, or makes a treasure token. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Like something like that. Or if you can produce other treasure tokens elsewhere, or or play mana dorks for that matter, maybe you can yep. actually flip this like on turn four or five, the turn after she comes down. Yeah, I, f I feel like if this was one in the black, like two, two, or maybe like a one, three or something like that to protect against like Bonecrusher Giant, I would have more hype on this. Or if it didn't have to tap to do the sack, like mm. the thing that like you really want in like a sacrifice deck is something that you don't, is either really cheap, like Witch's Oven, or doesn't have to do anything to sack like a Woe Strider or something like that, right? So this kind of has like the worst of both worlds where it's three mana and you have to tap it. So you mean you have to untap with it to do anything on the front half. So that, that's my reservation here. But I think there's potential. I think there's potential here. I'm not, I'm not hating on it. But, but you have to tap Priest of Forgotten Gods. Yeah, but Priest is only two mana. Yeah. So like you have more of an opportunity, I think, to untap with it. Although this does have three power. So I just think it, it's just kind of a, a little bit slower than Priest and doesn't have the benefit of Woe Strider at three. But again, if, you're, if you do have Tyvar, then this does open up this to be instantly used. But... I think we, we both have the next card, if you're ready to move on to the, the next one on your list. Uh, Baral and Karizev, one blue-red, legendary creature human, 2-4 with first strike and menace. Whenever you cast your first instant or sorcery spell each turn, you may cast a spell with lesser mana value, lesser, that shares a card type with it from your hand without paying its mana cost. If you don't create first mate Ragavan, a legendary 2-1 red monkey pirate creature token, it gains haste until end of turn. Yeah, so yeah. I did. I had this on my list as well. I I contemplated this one for a while. Like, I mean, I'm not making, I'm not like saying buy a place at $30 each. I don't think they're even close to that. But so I'm not making any kind of definitive statement here. But I think this is pioneer power level. My issue with the, I mean, okay, let's look at the pros before I get into the issues. Pros are you can potentially get free mana and you can potentially just get a 2-1 uh, red monkey pirate creature token prowess trigger effectively. Mm -hmm. So that's cool. What do you like it? <laughs> That's, those are your pros. So why do I like... Okay, I think the stats are pretty good. Two, four. It being four power, I think, is not nothing. It, it is having, three mana. Sure, sure. But, I mean, I've seen three mana creatures with less with less toughness in my day. Yeah. Um, it Having first strike and menace means it's probably like winning and or like surviving combat a lot i think that's pretty important for something like this so it needs like very specific removal to get off the board sure um i like that it triggers each turn your first incident sport sorcery each turn so like on your turn you cast one card you cast your treasure cruise on their turn you cast cast a spell with lesser mana value so okay so if you're doing a, a an opt on their turn you have yeah. to have a free spell or you get nothing <laughs> yes. you have to have your yeah yeah, so so I guess like in that in that situation, maybe puts you in like the slightly awkward position of like, do you put one mana cards in your deck unless your plan is to only cast them for free? Yeah, this is where we're getting into my issues, where I don't think that you can reliably trigger the lesser mana value that shares a card type with it very often. Like I mm -hmm. think that that's kind of gonna be pretty surprisingly infrequent. But I so but I do think that like a Ragavan prowess trigger is pretty good like that's like potentially better as a fallback right than having to be like okay well i have my lightning strike and i have my shock you yeah. know what i mean where it's like i get two instants but like 
for like you have to have a lot of fuel yeah for that and i don't think that you're going to have a lot of that right because you get into this position where you need to have a deck full of instants and sorceries um but you can't be necessarily threat light so like on some level i'm wondering whether you put this into a deck with like young pyromancer and the third path iconoclast for sure like this go wide prowess deck so that you can maybe either cast like high cmc convoke spells like stoke the flames is probably the best one um but i also wonder whether the lesser mana value thing can cheat something like extra powerful so if you're playing a treasure cruise for one mana if you can still play something that costs like five or six for free to do something yeah pretty pretty massive yeah that's interesting that's an interesting consideration right like you can you know you've got dig through time you've got treasure cruise and then that opens up like you said the possibility where it's like hey this mana value is actually really high but i'm cheating it with delve so I get something that's like also very strong. I think that that is narrower because if you don't have the first powerful spell, if you don't have the treasure cruise, then like that other spell is probably rotting in your hand, mm-hmm. right? We're like, dang, uh, this is costing me, this is like a six mana spell and I don't have close to six mana because I'm running like 21 lands in my aggressive is it deck or something like that. But I can see that being like a, that's a cool potential for sure. Like I just, I feel like this is pretty mid- it's not doing enough. It's not going to be reliable enough. And I don't know like how good a, a 2-1 monkey pirate creature token prowess trigger is. But it's 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 a pretty cool card. Yeah. The, the other interaction that literally just occurred to me while we were talking that might be interesting is pairing this with cards like Galvanic Iteration. Where you're spending two mana to copy the next spell you cast. So essentially you're spending two mana to get three spell triggers perhaps. And doing like some really if, like hopefully efficient one mana thing for free. Yeah, like temporal trespass. That let's go for it. <laughs> no, that won't well, work because Galvanic, yeah, yeah. Galvanic is the first spell. You yeah, you want to cast Galv in Phoenix. You want to do Galvanic first. Look, I yeah, don't so that, think this is going in Phoenix. No, but I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just, I'm just brainstorming here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's a it's a cool card. I think, you know, the point you're trying to make about how, like, the set has so much text, it gives us a lot to chew on. Yeah, right? if, there's, when you have, if there's one thing we want as a Magic the Gathering podcast, there's <laughs> a lot of text to chew on. Right. It's like, cards could be good or bad, but, like, there's plenty to, like, dither over just because the cards seem to do a lot. Do you want to go to a, a simple card that I think we still have a lot to chew on here? Sure. Surge of Salvation. It's a white instant. You and permanence you control gain hexproof until the end of turn. Prevent all damage that black and or red sources would deal to creatures you control this turn. So, <laughs> good spell. Reminiscent of like blacksmith skill, which is you know powerful in things like hammer and modern. This seems like sort of an instant stable card to me. Interesting. I don't think, I mean, of course it doesn't grant indestructible against anything that's not black or red, but hexproof is likely good enough just for like the protection aspect there. It can, of course, be a huge blowout against like black or red-based decks in the combat step. It doesn't help against like engineered explosives, doesn't help against Supreme Verdict. You can't fizzle creativity like you can with Blacksmith Skill. Uh, you can't get the potential damage boost, but this stops Force of Vigor. It stops Fury. And as, you know, Rhinoman, we're not happy about that. Well, it also is good against grief. Like, I wonder yeah. if this is like a really great hate piece against scam. I mean, I guess if, if you mean if if you turn one, just leave white mana open or something like that, and like yeah. you're on the play. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's an option. 
yeah, I mean, I think this is this is strong. It's a strong card. It's you know, there's some extra benefit giving you hexproof as well. So like, if you're a deck that doesn't want to like, let's say your opponent's like, okay, they're not going to do anything strong until turn three. So I'm going to hold my thoughtsies to turn two or turn three or something like that. Or even if you're on the if you're on the play and you don't have anything to do on turn one, or you can hold mana open for like an opt or something like that, and then you counter their thoughtsies. Other types of hand disruption, like you mentioned, like the turn one grief, uh, then yeah, that's great. Like that's it's. I think there's a lot of options here, mm-hmm. and I think there's probably room for both blacksmith skill and this. This might have wider utility than blacksmith skill, and I mean it definitely does. I think for non hammer decks, but I think even hammer is going to want to run this just because of the the benefit it gives you against things like fury and force of vigor yeah yeah this is interesting it's it i saw it and i didn't think about it much those are the types of i mean just like blacksmith skill you know what i mean like you don't think about something like this that much then you're like dang this is annoying one of the things i i like about it is the name salvation in here is reminiscent of of like healing salve yeah and even though the effect is kind is different yeah yeah it's you know it has a hint Notes of healing <laughs> yeah. self. Yeah, barrister man. Notes of healing salve. <laughs> cool pick. I mean, yeah, I don't. I don't have a lot else to say about it besides I think that this will see play in a lot of like white sideboards just generally. So we're talking about modern though. Does it have this uh, the same usefulness in pioneer? No, sure. Like, are, I mean, are, are this we is as really concerned about black and red permanence or damage and pi- like I don't, are we worried about burn spells in pioneer to give you hexproof do, do we just want this against thoughtseize decks maybe i mean i think it's just great it's just great against removal right like you know if you're trading especially in pioneer when like a lot of removal costs two just being like i'm i'm protecting my stuff with a one mana spell and then like especially against like black decks like let's say you're if you're like mono white humans against Rakdos midrange or something like that you know one of the most popular deck in the format you're more than happy to put this in your deck yeah, yeah. I wonder if, if like spirits is just going to play this over that um, card that makes your creatures phase out. Yeah, I think it's just a very, very good, very efficient uh, spell, and I think that uh, it's going to see multi-format play. Love it. Good pick. Pick to click. Here's a pick that I clicked on. <laughs> 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 that may be divisive. We'll see. Bloodfeather Phoenix. One in a red for a phoenix. It flies. Weird. It's a 2-2. It cannot block. Whenever an instant or sorcery spell you control deals damage to an opponent or battle, you may pay a single red mana. If you do, return Blood Feather Phoenix from your graveyard to the battlefield. It gains haste until end of turn. Note, yeah. it only has haste if it is coming back from the graveyard. Otherwise, it does yeah. not. Yeah. I just so, think it's neat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean... It's not a modern card, I don't think. No. Even though modern has better, like, br- red burn spells, I feel like this is just easier to trigger than Phoenix Chick. And Phoenix Chick does see play in mono red aggro in Pio, but it didn't really have the legs or the wingspan to, like, push that deck into, like, significant power or prominence. Yes. And do you think, whether do you think I, this does? Well, I just think this is an improvement on that. So... I don't know that this is going to be the thing that pushes Mono Red Aggro to Tier 1 and Pioneer, but I think I would probably rather play this, even though it's two mana, 
It doesn't have haste. I think it lets you maybe operate in the long game a little bit more effectively so that a burn spell, like uh, a late game like burn spell that maybe isn't enough to actually close out the game, at least also then puts you on board too so that you can continue to be down a little bit to try to get that like extra couple points of damage. You know, yeah. it, it, it basically it's like play with fire is now a three mana, three damage spell that lets you keep doing two damage unless it trades for something. Yeah. I think this is like a balanced card, like where this, this doesn't have haste. It doesn't have a lot of power. doesn't have prowess. So like, you're not going to use this for racing control decks, right? Where you're like, you're not like I'm putting a lot of damage in quickly in to get under the more controlling decks, but then you get like the recursion ability that makes it easier to re- recover from like the removal or the sweepers that those controlling decks are going to be playing. Right. So like I'm not over the moon about this card by any means, but like I see applications in pioneer, but like you said, the state of red aggro on pioneer is not very good. And I'm not sure like this, like pushes it over the edge in any way, shape or form. But I think that, this will see play like it, it might it might be sideboard, but I don't know what you'd bring it in against unless it's just like like Rakdos midrange or something like that, where like my, my stuff's going to get removed and I want a pretty good way to like use my top deck burn spells to put more, push more damage through. I wonder if a chunkier red midrange deck can also play this if you pair it with Fable as a good card to just throw in the graveyard with chapter two on Fable. Something that Dave... It's better in the graveyard than out, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, than, than cast, normally. There was an episode a month or two ago, I think it was just Dave and Devin, when they were talking about like the state of the Pioneer format prior to the Pro Tour. I think that was the episode where like Dave presented his takes and Devin reacted to them. <laughs> yeah. Remember like the, that the classic? Po- the post-Pro Tour episode. Yeah, and Dave said something that I've never stopped thinking about. I mean, I can't stop thinking about a lot of what Dave says. He's just yeah, always right? living rent-free in my head. But he was like, Fable of the Mirror Breaker is, if not the, just one of the best cards in the format. And the, That's the, an original Dave take, by the way. Yeah, that's, that's right. And I just keep thinking, like, should every deck that can play Fable start playing Fable? And should we try to be playing cards that, like, are better with every mode of Fable, potentially? My take is like you're not going to build around Fable, but like you're I mean, maybe you should. Like you're saying, is Fable is just like a good value engine, but I don't know if it's like where I start a deck. But I guess yeah. you're probably trying to think of reasons to include it rather than exclude it in a red based deck. Yeah, and it's like, what are better red cards for putting stuff in your yard? Like blue has good cards for that, but like Charter Course, um, and and we have like very so so red cards that do that, but. A lot, are, a lot of so-so red cards, yeah. Those are frequent, frequently rummage cards. Um, so I wonder if, like, if you can put this, if you can pair this with, like, a good red looter, maybe you have just, like, a little one-two punch there to get extra value and, you know, almost neutralize the the looting and, and turn your graveyard into a, a stronger resource in a way that Fable decks, like, don't always do. Yeah, I mean, it's very efficient for getting it back out of the yard like you don't have to cast three spells in a turn you just have to cast one damage spell to you know that can hit your opponent pay red so it's cool i think there i think this has chops it's just like it's so it's so balanced right where it's like getting it back out of the yard 
is not necessarily like getting a arc like Phoenix or getting something with more power, you know, just something with good power. Like this is just sort of a two, two yeah. and it can't block. So it's like, you know, against certain matchups, it's going to be a real pooper. Like you can't block against spirits or angels or something like that. So it's just like, well, crud, but I think it's cool. Right. But I mean, if you're playing against angels with a red deck, you lost as soon as you get yeah, That's paired. a good point. That's a good point. Unless you, yeah, unless you really get lucky. Can we, Stanislav, talk about Elish Norn? Sure. I mean, you another have to talk, one. I think you have to talk. Yeah, another Elish Norn. This is just Elish Norn. What it says on the tin: Elish Norn, two white, white, legendary Phyrexian Praetor, three five with vigilance. Whenever a source an opponent controls deals damage to you or a permanent you control, that source's controller loses two life unless they pay one mana. Then two and a white. Sacrifice three other creatures. That's a lot of creatures, damn. Exile yeah. Elish Norn, then return it to the battlefield transformed. Activate only as a sorcery, blah, blah, blah. <sighs> the flip side. Oh my god, so many words. <laughs> it's a saga, the Argent Etchings. It's chapter one. Incubate two five times. Then transform all incubator tokens you control. This gets us into, into incubate. <laughs> incubate. Incubate two means you make an incubator artifact token with 1-1 one, one counters equal to the number of the incubate. So this would have two 1-1 one, one counters each. Then typically you can pay two generic mana to transform it into an, a 0-0 zero, zero Phyrexian creature. Of course, it has the counters on it. So you know if it's Incubate 3, it's a 3-3 three, three Phyrexian creature. You can do it like as a morph, I believe. There's no like activate only as a sorcery or anything like that. So you can flip it at any time. So chapter one effectively is make five 2-2s. Two because mm-hmm. it, you incubate and then you transform them all instantly. Chapter two is creatures you control get plus one, plus one, again, double strike. Chapter three is destroy all other permits except for artifacts, lands, and Phyrexians. Then you exile the Argent Etchings and return it to the battlefield face up as Elish Norn again. So if you flip Elish Norn, it's a lot. Like, it's a lot. Like, you, you, you're you, going to have a hard time losing from that position, I think. Potentially. I mean, I guess, of course, you could get board wiped or something like that. But anyway. Well, you can you can hedge against the board wipe decks by not turning all of your incubators into creatures. No, you have to. It's it, it's part of chapter one. Oh, I see. I see. My bad. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So, the real thing is, I mean, like, it's, it's a 3-5 Vigilance for 4, which is pretty mid. And... But the static ability is very strong. Whenever a source and opponent controls deals damage to you or permit you control, they lose two life unless they pay one. So like what? That stacks, right? Where it's just like any time, like if they swing into you and you block with like three creatures, then they're losing two life unless they pay three mana or something, which is you know not the end of the world. But you, they definitely are not going to want to lose the two life. I think the real thing is, is can you build a deck where you're either getting to seven mana and having three other creatures on the board, and you instantly cast Elish Norn, and then she has no ETB, so they'll have nothing to respond to, and you can instantly then, two and a white, sacrifice three other creatures, flip Elish Norn into the Argent Edgings, right? Mm-hmm. So that's pretty good. And it just is a thing of, will you have the reliability of sacrificing three other creatures, having three other creatures on the board, often enough to play Elish Norn. I don't know if she's good enough on her own without the the flip, right? And so I I think it's it's good but not great and but then the saga is very good. 
Yeah, it. This is a card I think is that's clearly powerful, but hard for me to evaluate because I'm not sure where to put it in yeah. a, in in our constructed formats. And I felt the same way about the previous Elshorn too. So like, I'm I'm not going to make any definitive statements that like this is not a good card. It, I think it probably just is a good card that needs a home. Yeah, I mean, it could be in like a token generation deck. I don't know what there's not. I don't, there's not a lot of like white token generation decks there's like a lot of like there's white go wide decks right but if you have three other creatures to sacrifice aren't you already kind of doing pretty well i guess like if you're in a board stall situation like getting elish norn down sacrificing like your thraven inspectors and stuff you know with to make five two twos and then getting the one one and double strike stuff is pretty and then destroying all of the permanents like that's strong so it might be like a board stall sideboard card where it's like, we're going to get into a situation where my creatures are staying on the board and their creatures are staying on the board because I'm a white base deck with pretty average removal options. And yeah. then this breaks parity because it's really good at breaking parity eventually. I, b- I believe you. <laughs> okay. That's I'm all I got. Here. I mean, I'm, this is not like my... This is not a card that I'm going to be building decks around because I think it's going to cost like $50 anyway, but mm. it's a cool card. Are you playing any white decks these days? <sighs> no, because I don't... The, the cards that I don't have for Mono White Humans in Pioneer are somewhat expensive, and I think the deck is clearly losing some edge in the format. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really... I'm not buying into it, but, you know... I'm always looking for I'm always looking for a mono mono white aggressive deck to be good. Hey mate, you want to know how much this card is pre-selling for? Uh, it's a mythic, right? Because it's Elishnorn. Yeah. So so I will. We now we know of two versions of this card, right? We know like the full art black and white one, and then yeah. the regular one. If you can get close to either of them, I'll give you a point. I'll give you a comedy point. Fifty-five dollars. The regular one is. Is pre-selling for fifty-one sixty-one yes. USD. The pretty one sixty-nine nice. ninety-one. It's a lot. It's expensive. <laughs> it's not not cheap. What do you got for me, Stan? You got a card for how, me? You got a piece of cardboard yeah. we can talk about? Yeah. How about here's one that people are debating: Halo Forager. Oh, I mean, one, this is, we we got to debate this for sure. We got to debate it. One blue black for a fairy rogue flying 3-1. When it enters the battlefield, you may pay X. Mm-hmm, when you do, mm-hmm. you may cast target instant or sorcery with mana value X from a graveyard without mm. paying its mana cost. <laughs> if, if that spell <laughs> would be put into a graveyard, exile <laughs> it instead. Yeah, this uh, this seems like I, I know some spells that have low mana value X. Yeah, that you would want to so, cast. Yeah, yeah. So do say the line, Bart. Rhinos. Yay! Yay! Rhinoceros. So people are asking, do you put this in rhinos to get extra rhinos for free out of the yard? Out of a yard. Out of a yard, so for the rhinos mirrors, break it breaks those too. You know the obvious comparison there is arcane proxy, yeah. and I think in in some ways this is this might be better than arcane proxy. Yeah, I mean this is a three one flyer, which is definitely better, definitely better than like what is it? It's a two one for arcane proxy or two two or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but more importantly, this has a color identity that proxy does not. 
So you could, oh, yeah. Oh, you're right. Because, yeah, Arcane Proxy itself does not pitch to Force of Negation. Correct. Okay. But this does. And, you know, so this, yeah, this is cool. This is also a black card. So yeah. the other Cascade deck that runs Living End and oh, Grief and that. black cards, yeah. like, maybe this sees play there, too. The, I mean, this still has the fundamental issue of, do we need it? Right? Like, do we need it? It's Arcane Proxy, I don't think really caught on. It, it doesn't yeah. really see play. Um, this has to be played in the four and five color deck. I mean, almost certainly has to be played in the four and five color deck of Rhinos, like, because you can cast Arcane Proxy with blue in the teamer build. Right. So, I mean, I think it might actually be better in Living End mm-hmm. than Winos, but um, yeah. I think, like, Rhinos. I just I just want to save some rhinos some more, man. I just, I just I've been thinking yeah, about rhinos can, a lot recently. I can tell. Rhinoceros. Can tell. You like saying saying that word in a well, funny way. I just I think about that, that kid from that video I sent you. It's like the the play like whatever like that guy who interviews kids on like playgrounds. That's really like adorable. Mm-hmm. As that one kid who just says rhinoceros for every answer. Right. And it makes me laugh, and I think about it all the time. <laughs> hey Shane, love to laugh. <laughs> I like that. I like. I love Turtles, kid. I love rhinos. Yeah. yeah. So the other interesting bit here, we keep talking about playing it in these decks. You directly play it against those decks, right? Because this is yeah, that's any graveyard. That's a little loose, but it's fun. Like, I mean, so, you do get a three-one flyer, right? That you could you could cast your opponent's rhinos and you know break some parity very efficiently, right? Or you can wrath the living end board, right? And yeah, yeah, against yeah. against the deck that can't oh. like they can't force of negation this. I, I suppose they can force a negation their own living end. Um, what deck is playing this, though? Like, I guess, like, four and five color rhinos against the mirror, or, like, against an, a cascade deck? What Blue deck black is playing control? this in modern? Well, I mean, a f- any four color Omnath deck could cast this. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Four and EF, like, you know, those decks, yeah. I think, I think this has more chops than... I like this more than Arcane Proxy, but it has narrower application. I mean, well, actually, not really. I mean, Arcane Proxy really only has like this pretty narrow application as well. Yeah. I don't know if like does Living End need to flash back its own Living Ends though, because like it doesn't really need that redundancy. Typically, like its other Cascaders are much better. Right. So the the reason Living End may need that from time to time is if it's playing against Murktide and Murktide like Fluster Storms. The living yeah, end. Co- yeah, counter stuff. Yeah, you know? that's always a pain. You want more living ends. Yeah. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see this. I mean, people are going to experiment with this. This will see, this will be in 5-0 lists. This will potentially be, you know, in some challenge list or something like that. But if it sticks, I think is really the, we'll, we'll, it'll prove its value or not, kind of like Arcane Proxy did, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess, like, the problems with Arcane Proxy were the body was bad and the card itself wasn't good outside of like creating redundancy yeah i mean a three one flyer is not bad and yeah and i think this does a little bit more than just redundancy like it being pitchable i think is noteworthy it targeting both graveyards is noteworthy so we'll see if we'll see if all that extra text is enough yeah it definitely is cool i have stan i have for you another small flyer it's it's fairy mastermind oh yeah one of the blue fairy rogue flash flying two one whenever an opponent draws their second card each turn you draw a card and then three in the blue each player draws a card 
So this is uh, Yuta Takahashi's World Championship card. I think this has potential to see play. Mm. I mean, it it, 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 it it initially seems kind of narrow, right? Right, where you're like, it's it's a fairy rogue. Like maybe it sees play in like some like Demir rogues type deck. But like, I think this can be used like in somewhat aggressive decks, in mid range decks, in control shells. Like I think there's there's a lot to this card, but uh, it still is just a two one flash flyer for one in the blue. But like you know, you can cast this in response to like your opponent's uh, you know anything that's drawing a second second card in a turn, right? Like I think there's a lot of there's a lot of value here. So Yuta is known as the king of the fairies. Yes, the yeah the fairy king. That's what I always call him. P- presumably, he helped design this card. <laughs> Yeah, one would hope that he at least had like input. <laughs> yes, I think so. And, and you know, for for that reason, I'm always like, he's probably going to help design a card that's going to see constructed play in his favorite deck. I wonder if that that second that line, whenever an opponent draws their second card each turn, you draw a card. Yeah, how often is that relevant in constructed? Like. Oh, like, I think it, a, a lot. It, like any, you know, anytime you do like a, an, uh, a, you know, an opt or anything like that, where you're you're can tripping, sure, or, okay, you know that kind of stuff. Yeah, but but I think we can count on one hand how many decks do that in modern. I think we can count on how many decks do that in pioneer. Like we don't, we effectively do not play legacy. But like, I wonder if this is just like for Delver, <laughs> like a Delver hate piece and brainstorm or against brainstorm, um, but. Yeah, it's, it's it's definitely not a deck. It's not a card I know how to build around, but yeah. I think that it's just it's very flexible, and I can see it being used in a lot of different types of decks, and so I I, I think it just is going to see play because I think it's very good at what it's doing. Yeah, yeah, maybe it can go into Demir Rogues because although you are paying mana to let your opponent draw cards too, um. In theory, your card quality is better because you're drawing like interaction that that neutralizes whatever gas that they may be picking up. So like may, maybe that's part of the thinking there. Maybe it's just going to be good in Pioneer against like the Treasure Cruise decks too. Well, I mean, it effectively breaks it, it breaks parity in self. Like so, like on their turn, you activate the three and a blue. Each player draws a card, so they draw their they draw an additional card, and you draw two cards. Yeah. So I mean, you're you're just sort of gaining card advantage in that way. If if your two one stays on the board, that you have three and a blue mana to activate, but that does happen. Yeah, it's just like, is that how you want to gain card advantage? Wouldn't you rather they have no cards and you have cards? I like, really prefer that. Like maybe maybe this is just like you pair this with Narset and you pay oh, yeah, four for mana sure. to to do that on their end step instead of like wheeling them. I don't know. I I th- like I said. I mean, this isn't like. This, to me, it doesn't read absurd. It reads like, hey, cool. People who like this type of deck will have a cool option. Yeah, to me, it just screams Shane. You know? It's like, <laughs> Man, if there's nothing I like, I like better, it's slowly gaining card advantage over my opponent with a 2-1 blue flyer. Flash blue flyer? That, that, <laughs> that reads me. All right, blue cards, or cards that say blue are interesting here in this set, because I've got another Demir-ish card to talk about. I think all this right, is what right, we have right, to discuss. Right. And that's the Sword of Once and Future. 
Oh, sweet. Isn't that three. from Lord of the Rings? Isn't, shouldn't that be in the Lord of the Rings set? The Once and Future King? Is that Lord of the Rings? Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah. Yeah. Get out of here, Gandalf, with your sword. <laughs> or Frodo. Boromir. One of, the, one of those little guys. Faramir. <laughs> Theramin. Stan, this is, a, this is a sword. It's the last sword. It's the last sword. Okay, so yeah, it's three mana. Three generic. It gives, it, yeah, it does the plus two, plus two. It gives protection from blue and black. But what's what's the what's the combat damage thing? When it deals combat damage to a player, surveil to. Then you may cast an instant or sorcery spell with mana value two or less from your graveyard without paying its mana cost. If that spell would be put into your graveyard, exile it instead. So the final sword in the cycle of swords... I think this one was written to be strong. Yeah, it's strongish for sure. I think if this came out five, ten years ago, this would have been a sword that saw play. I just don't think we live in an era of swords <laughs> no, anymore. We don't live in a sword era, and we don't live in a snapcaster snored era. Snapcaster snored. Snored. Snapcaster, that's yeah. that's what I like. Yeah. So I love snorts. Um, but yeah, this is. I, I think this is this is a powerful sword more than I anticipated for Demir. Yeah. It's still, it's, you know, it's just slow. It's weaker than sort of fire and ice. It's not like people are playing Snapcaster anymore. So yeah, I don't, I think it's marginal. Yeah. I mean, pro blue and black, I actually think is, is, is not bad too. Black for removal, blue for actually just like getting damage through big blockers. Like imagine opponent has a ledger shredder or an awoken horror or a I don't want to. I don't, like, I don't want to see those spells on the other side of the table. It's a bad imagination. Right, right. Or, or getting past a shieldred for that matter. Like I actually think like the protection here is really relevant. It's just that spending three mana to play a permanent that then you need an additional two mana to see usefulness. Glacier. That also, that also requires like a creature on the board to carry this equipment. I, I just I just don't think we're we're in we're playing that type of magic these days, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean and you know, we typically would play like swords like these, like as a tutor target and like your uh what's her name? Her name is Stoneforge Mystic. Is yeah, Stoneforge Mystic. Yeah, thank you. Stoneforge Mystic. Sorry for forgetting your name. Uh what's her her actually she's Nahiri, right? No, not Nahiri. No. She's no. uh she's just a core artificer. No, okay, maybe. No, I'm thinking of... There's a Planeswalker version of her, isn't there? She can be your commander. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, I don't think people are going to play this that much. I think it's... I'm glad the the cycle is complete. It's a pretty good one, but it's definitely like tier two. And it's not like the tier one ones are blowing people's minds anymore. Yeah. I mean, what if... God, what if we got like some type of fix Stoneforge for Pioneer... And let like some of the swords he played there. Wouldn't that sound nice? Don't we want swords to be good? They're so fun. Like <laughs> yeah. they they do cool things. I I think it's I think we lose something when the power creep pushes cards like this out of the format. Especially like this is a cycle we wanted to see finished for like fifteen years. Well, that's probably. I mean, this, you mentioned it. This is part of the problem, right? Is like this sword is like a little bit too late, a little bit late to the party. It's like yeah. everyone's winding down. The the queso's gone. God. The the Tostitos are running low. Yeah. And it's like, hey, everybody, I brought I brought some beer. And everyone's like, dude, we're done. Yeah, we're drinking cherry now. My friend, it's we're in the upper, we're in the digestive part of the evening. Seriously. Speaking of digestive, Stan, uh Ren and Realmbreaker. Mm. 
<laughs> one green green for a four loyalty walker Ren. Uh, lands has a static. Lands you control have tap, add one mana of any color. So, you know, fixes mana in any color you would so desire. Right. The plus one, up to one target land you control becomes a 3-3 three, three elemental creature with vigilance, hexproof, and haste until your next turn. It's still a land. Minus two, mill three cards. You may put a permanent card from among the mill cards into your hand. Uh, from the mill cards and not from your graveyard. Has to be one of the three cards you mill. Goes into your hand. Minus seven, you get an emblem. You may play lands and cast permanent spells from your graveyard. So people are, you know, people are pretty gaga over this. It's, you know, it's a three mana walker with four loyalty. It fixes mana. It turns your lands into creatures that have vigilance. So you can attack with them. You can use them for mana. There's some strong play patterns here. You know, you get stuff. You can recur things from your from your milled cards into your hand. So there's some card advantage built in there. I think it's cool. I mean, it's, what is it doing? I don't know, right? Like, what does it fit into? Is it just a strong fixer for multicolored decks? Is it kind of like a a baby Nyssa who shakes the world type thing? I think this may be one of the more powerful three mana walkers to enter Pioneer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yes, we have Liliana there, but um, like Obnixilis ultimately wasn't long for the format i just wonder like this being like something good to play on turn two if you have one of the mana elves could be like a a, a different alternative a different take on like a green deck yeah i mean she I, does she's good for devotion too like the gg good is it's good for the devotion it's 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 sort of generically good but what is that i mean it's for me it's kind of like is this doing anything that decks have room for Besides just sort of maybe like just a, a green mid-range deck that's not necessarily green devotion. I don't know. I just, you know, I wonder, I, I wonder if you can play this in um, the, uh, that combo deck that you like. You can play anything you want. The, the, the one that uses Lotus Field. <laughs> the Lotus Field combo deck? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't think this is on game plan. Like, Lotus Field just wants to get a couple Lotus Fields in play and then make a bunch of mana and tutor for, like, the ultimatums and stuff like that to, to go off with, right? Like, how is this getting you there? Because the minus two to mill three cards, like, makes it a little easier to find Lotus Fields. Good point. Like, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that you want maybe, you want your, you know, the digging spells to get you to to also like untap your lands and stuff like that. Like where sure. you, you want the additional value. Like this is, it's an interesting, like maybe juke spell where it's like, it's buying you time. Like, cause you're making blockers. I don't really know. Like, right. Right. But that's the other piece is like Lotus field. I don't think has a, a strong plan B that this could provide where if they are disrupting your land somehow, like maybe they got an Alpine moon down, maybe they've got a damping sphere down, like something that like makes you, more or less incapable of comboing off, and you are ultimately a lands deck, like, this actually makes your lands beaters um, for a cheaper mana cost than uh, Nissa does. Yeah. It's it's one of those spells that people are, are being pretty darn excited and saying, like, this is broken and stuff like that, but the high loyalty is really what makes it really good, I think. 
Yeah. Like, I mean, I think the loyalty is what makes this exceptionally strong or like, you know, potentially exceptionally strong where it's like, I'm playing a three mana five loyalty walker after I plus it up. And then I have a three, three elemental land blocker thing. And I'm likely also having some other creatures in like a heavy green deck. And I think it does, if this stays on the board, pulls you ahead pretty quickly. And so I think even in just like a green stompy deck, like, it's it's potentially enough, right? Yeah. All right. So we haven't talked about any battles yet. So how about to close out the show, we each pick one of the battles that jumped out to us. The one that I'm intrigued with is called Invasion of Tarkir. Good set. Good plane. One in a red, furry battle. Siege. When it enters the battlefield, reveal any number of dragon cards from your hand. When you do, it deals <sighs> X plus two. Dragons. X plus two. So bare minimum, this is a two mana, two damage spell to any other target where X is the number of revealed cards this way. So if you have a dragon deck, or I guess a deck full of shapeshifters, (laughs) pure upside, baby. And then it has defense five. It flips into the defiant Thunder Maw, which is a four, four flying trample. And whenever a dragon you control attacks, it deals two damage to any target (laughs) and dragon yeah okay so is this the two mana dragon card we need for dragon tribal um let me let me let me let me hit you with some some complex math here stan thanks to to be better than lightning strike you got to have at least two dragons in your hand okay so that that's that's my initial and it's also also not instant so you're you're, yes. To be better than a sorcery speed lightning strike, you have to have two dragons in hand. Done. That's 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 reasonable. I mean, it's it's a it's an ask. How's our flip side though? Here's here's my here's my real issue. You can't target the battle with the damage that invasion of Tarkir does. Deals two damage to any other target. Other target. So well, you can't you can't hit itself. I see. Sure, sure. Uh, but you can play multiples. They're not <laughs> legends. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> my first invasion targets my second invasion. Yeah, I mean, I think I think this is like a this is a fun fun build around for sure. Yeah, I don't know. It's just it's no. I'm into it. I'm into it. I I don't. I mean, like this is like a fun, funny red card, right? It's a a fun tier deck, right? Like I'm going to have a bunch of dragons. I'm going to have two or three in my hand and do like a pretty cool burn spell with the with the one in the red, which is pretty efficiently costed. I'm gonna attack it, and then I get both a dragon but then all my other dragons are like quickly finishing stuff off and i think that's like a fun thing to try to shoot for i think it's probably like you know going into edh dragon decks of course and but i think it's uh in terms of 60 card constructed probably a bigger challenge but let's 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 dream a little bit yeah Got anything else love, anything I, else there? Yeah, I, i'll all say is like it would just be nice to have like a deck full of like glory bringers and other cool dragon cards I love. I mean, dragons are cool. I agree. Okay, here's a quick one. I think Invasion of Carsis, two red red. When it ETBs, it deals three damage to each creature or each planeswalker. So you have a four mana, three damage wrathy. You know, red red damage wrath. Not great. The flip side is. Oh man, I didn't put the defense down. Stan, why am why I'm talking? Stop doing that. Stop doing that. Well, it's it's. I'm sorry. The cut and paste. So the uh, Invasion of Carsis, the flip side 
is Refraction Elemental. It's a 4-4 elemental creature with pay two life as the ward. Whenever you cast a spell, Refraction Elemental deals two damage to each opponent. So that's fun. That's a, you know, remove on site type. This is uh, kind of, this is kind of like a, a chonky invasion of Tarkir. You're right. Yeah, but I mean, it's, like I said, I don't think this is, the uh, the two red red for the front side is not great, but it's something. Yeah. Well, yeah, What's I mean, defense? It's an, it, did you find it's out ex- for me? It's an expensive uh, anger of the gods. No, this defense I, is four, by yeah. the way. I don't know. I think it's worth mentioning that this is. I think this has options, but like I think only because the flip is like must remove, but it's not particularly hard to remove. Yeah, I, I mean, I just like that it makes it hard. Well. The flip is must remove. So I guess they need like damage. I just think it's really cool that this is one that that rasts the board for four mana. Like I, I, I mean, think that that says something. Three damage but, is not like a wrath wrath. Yeah, but you know, anger of the gods sees play. Slag yeah. storm saw play. Yeah. Fiery cannonade deals two to everything. That's saw play in standard. <laughs> Stan, do you do you want to finish this episode off with uh, a quick little argument? Oh, <laughs> Why I come here every week? <laughs> want to talk about change the equation? Choose the equ- oh, that's the counterspell. The new yeah, conditional the counterspell. Do you want to talk about that, or you want to go home? Do you want to go downstairs from your from your loft? Yeah, let's let's just let's read it and and talk about change yeah. the equation really quick. One in a blue for an instant. Choose one. Counter target spell with mana value two or less, or counter target red or green spell with mana value six or less. All right. Aether Gust. <laughs> Aether Gusty. Yeah. But better. Yeah, it's like Aether Gust meets Disdainful Stroke, Manly Spell or Snare. Something. Yeah, Spell Snare. Yeah. It's, but not as it's efficient. A, it's a lot of conditions. A lot of conditions. So why would you play this? Like meaning like so what's what's the what's the ostensible utility here? Yeah, I mean like I guess you play this over Aether Gust or Disdainful Stroke is like the thing. Is like you play this against like bigger green and red decks that also has like a little bit of utility elsewhere if like you're cr- you need some interaction, like it, you're desperate for any, inter- any interaction at all. Like the fact that you are at best even on mana for that first mode counter spell with mana value two or less, like I think that that's rough. Like, oh, that's bad. Yeah, that's unplayable. God, I wish it was counter target spell with mana value three or less, because then at least like it would be good against Rakdos. But maybe it is good against Rakdos, the green, the the red side of Rakdos, because it, it 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 will tag Fables, Bone Crusher Giants. Yeah, it, it, both sides of the Bone Crusher. Yeah, I don't know. I think I don't know. We we know this isn't this is not going in modern. Like this no. this isn't no chance this is, even though it does hit Amulet Titan, doesn't matter. I mean excuse me, even though it hits uh Titan, it's like who cares? Right. We just have better interaction for Titan. Like Yeah, I mean you have counterspell. You have you have subtlety. Yeah. Those are the only ones you need to list. No, that's it. You have unholy heat. That's that's probably the best one, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean are are you high on this? Are you like, yeah, I think this has really broad utility, or you just wanted to bring it up as like, hey, this is a spell people are talking about. You brought it up. I I wrote it down. Yeah, you wrote you, it down. You, I wrote it down, but you brought it up. Okay, good point. So, am I high on this? I just don't think counter spells are good in Pioneer unless they are build arounds. Like, so I've been playing a lot of spirits. Oh, like the spirit actually, ones, yeah. Yeah, like I think the those. Those are basically the best counters outside of blue-white control because they're like counter spell 
it, like more often yeah. than not, they, they just read like counterspell. Yeah, my my, can, my friend, all I and I've been playing some best of one just to like get some quests done, and I I literally played against spirits builds four four times in a row, and they just you know always have the the card drawing enchantments, and they always have the counter spells. Yeah, what, what do you think of that deck, by the way? Oh, it's I mean I think it's quite strong. I pretty good. I hate, right? I hate playing against it. It's just super annoying. Yeah, yeah. I love making people feel that way. Yeah, I mean that's the whole point. Um, so is is I I think like maybe we'll see it in some sideboards. Like that's it, it's a cop out for another situational counter spell. Maybe it's better than like I think the the ceiling on this card really is that it replaces either disdainful stroke or aether gust. Do we need a replacement for those cards? I don't know, but I I guess like the the reason you play this over aether gust is that it's a permanent solution. Yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, Aethergast just sort of buy, you know, buys you the time. This buys you uh, more than that. Yeah, I just need to look up. What's the mana value on Cavalier of Thorns? Does this counter Cavalier of Five. Thorns? Five. Yes. Uh, does it counter Storm the Festival? No, it's seven? No, that's, uh, what's the front side? What's the, what's the initial part of Storm? I don't know. Gatherer's taking too long to load. Oh, Gatherer. I just Googled it. Okay, yeah, Scryfall for the win. So the front side is five. The, yeah, that's what I the, the flashback is seven. Ten. Oh, ten, yeah. That's yeah. like, that's like, oh, that's almost ten. Seven. Is, is, when you flashback a card, what's its mana value? Is it the flashback or? It's the, always the upper right corner. So, okay, so I guess like, I guess it's good against Mono Green Devotion. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think it'll probably, it'll potentially see some play. Except it doesn't hit Karn. Nope. It hits Kior. So like, I guess it only misses Karn in that deck. Yeah, that's fine. That's a fine miss. Um, and yeah, yeah, and, and then in theory, you may have other spells to, to counter or deal with Karn stuff. So maybe if mono, mono green needs more interaction, you can play this against that. Yeah. If you feel like Aethergust isn't giving you the mileage that you deserve. Stanislav, we're through, you know, almost an hour and a half and we have a bunch of cards left to talk about, uh, potentially next week. For sure, and we'll have more cards added to the spoilers. So I'm hyped for for coming back and talking about some some more stuff. I think my overall feeling on this set is there's potential. Yeah, I mean, there's always potential, right? But like, I think that it's there's a lot to these cards. There's a lot of text on them, and I think that they there's some potential build arounds for decks that don't really exist right now. There's some potential like sideboard cards and role players kind of like we really hope for. I think there's some cool stuff here. I'm excited for the rest of the set to be spoiled. Yeah. I think this, this set is pretty exciting, kind of flashy and splashy. Um, and it could have impact like just like you. (laughs) Thanks mate. I do think that, um, for this set, to kind of like deliver on their promise of changing magic forever, it has to be more than the battles. Like the other cards have to be good too. And maybe some of the ones we talked about could get there. Here's hoping. Whether, whether the battles do remains an open question, but we'll probably find this time next month. We'll know. We'll finally know if battles are the future of magic or not. And you know where we're going to talk about that on the dive down. So that's my favorite podcast. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our show and get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. Stay on the pulse of innovations in MTG. And if you've been listening and you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to the pod or reach out in general, you can tweet us at the dive down, all one word, or email the dive down at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash the dive down. 
Also check out our store at thedivedown.com slash store. Shout out to Mana Traders for sponsoring our show. Sign up for Mana Traders yourself using promo code thedivedown10, all one word, for 10% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. And get some amazing shaving soaps, body soaps, fragrances, and more at Barrister and Man. Using promo code thedivedown2023 for 15% off your first order. And save some money on paper cards too at Nerd Rage Gaming with code DIVE8 for 8% off your order at NRG. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Space Blood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and march with Machine!